Hi, I'm Brian. And I'm Michaela. And this is Drink the Movies. A podcast where each week we try to recreate a classic movie drink and discuss the movie that inspired it. Thanks for joining us. Now let's drink the movies. Hello and welcome to episode 56 of Drink the Movies. I'm Brian here as always with Michaela. Michaela, we are coming into the last week of holiday movie month. How are you feeling? Are you in the Christmas spirit? I don't know if I could be any more in the Christmas spirit unless I covered myself with wrapping paper and put a bow on my head. Okay. Well, I guess if that's what you need to do to get there, anyone listening at home, go ahead and uh, wrap yourself up. Uh, you can give yourself as a gift. That's always good. So uh, what have you been doing? Anything, anything, Mary? Have you been out caroling? Or uh, I heard a rumor that you were uh, reliving one of our you know, favorite episodes from last year, the Polar Express. How did that go? I did relive that and it was amazing. Um, it was very full of hot chocolate and a lot of dancing uh, elves and some Christmas cheer with a ringing bell. It was great. Um, I really love that we have this month to do all of the holiday films and apparently everybody, all of our listeners really love that episode, which is nice because it was one of the first ones that we ever did. And, uh, we didn't really know what we were doing, but apparently it has become a somewhat of a classic in the drink, the movies archive. That's that's right. It is hitting on all cylinders. I think people are coming from the hot chocolate mostly because uh, we were new to podcasting, but we were not new to making boozy hot chocolate. So I think that that was the uh, the key right there. Totally, totally. <laughs> and yeah. we had plenty of boozy hot chocolate this week. Let me tell you. Yeah, that's right. The weather finally cooled off here a little bit, um, and then it warmed back up to like an obnoxious level again. And now it's now it's rainy. It's it's very dreary outside. We need some some snow, like we talked about in White Christmas last week, to get us a little bit more in the uh, you know holiday cheer uh, category. But I think we have a good cocktail for that this week, and we're revisiting uh, you know a classic of the classic tales of all time in terms of you know these Christmas stories, Michaela. Absolutely. And the weather today, uh, my husband, who is English, so he would know, he said that it reminded him of Victorian era London because it's cold, it's dreary, it's rainy. It makes you feel like a humbug. Yeah, that's right. Bah humbug indeed. So why don't we take a quick break and we will see if we can whip something up to, you know, fight off those humbugs. And we'll be right back to chat about it. This week's cocktail comes from Global Table Adventure, mm-hmm. which sounds amazing. And yeah. it's actually called The Smoking Bishop, which yeah, but- the interesting tale about this is that it actually is mentioned in the book, A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, which this movie is uh, about. Yeah, that, that's right. This movie is about that. Yeah, it's a it's a retelling of that classic Charles Dickens tale. And yeah, the Smoking Bishop. And I guess it gets its name because uh, in the instructions for this that we got off of Global Table Adventure, you're basically heating this thing up twice to a what they call smoking, which is basically just you know kind of below a simmer when it starts to starts to steam a little bit. But uh, it's pretty fun and it's a good mulled wine. I love mulled wine. Uh, it's been a couple years in Germany, so you know we'd get into the glue vine like every day for a solid month and just walk up to the Christmas market, uh, get me a mug of that, wander around. Uh, it was it was pretty amazing. And this, you know, took me right back to those those European Christmas markets, uh, that cold, snappy air, uh, you know, gingerbread men, all that good stuff. Oh, yeah. No, this is 
an amazing recipe for anybody that wanted to make mold wine at home. I've tried it myself a couple of times mm-hmm. and I'm not, I either get it too sweet. So it's like a warm sangria, which no one, no one enjoys, um, or maybe someone enjoys, I didn't enjoy it. Um, or I get it too spicy. And so mm-hmm. then it, it's more like a, like just a wine gingerbread thing. And it just doesn't, it doesn't do it. So this is an amazing recipe. I think it's, it, it takes a little bit of time, mm-hmm. but it's really actually quite simple to make. So anybody who's like, oh, I've wanted to always make mold wine. You don't, you, you need a few ingredients. You need a day uh, of it sitting somewhere. It's super easy. Let's get into it right in time for Christmas. Cause this mold wine is so tasty. Yeah, definitely. So uh, like Michaela said, so this is going to take two days. So you're basically getting like your base ready the first day and then you finish it off the second day. So Michaela, you rounded up all of these uh, ingredients for us. Why don't you go through them for everyone? Sure. You're going to need five oranges. You're going to need one etrog. If you don't know what an etrog is, don't worry. I didn't either. Yeah, uh, apparently no it is a, <laughs> it's a very, um, citrusy fruit that uh, is very prevalent in the Jewish culture. And so mm-hmm. you can probably, you can try and find this in the city that you live in. If you go to like, if you have a Hillel market or mm-hmm. uh, like a Whole Foods, we um, we looked all over the city of Charlotte and we were not able to find one. So I'm happy to say there is a great substitute and that substitute is either a grapefruit or a lemon. Mm-hmm. And you will be just fine. This will come out beautifully. So five oranges, one, either etrog, grapefruit, or lemon. You need we used 20... a grapefruit. We did use grapefruit. We certainly did. And it was astonishingly good. I, I really liked it. So I've never had an etrog. I don't know what the taste uh, variation would be, um, but there you have it. So that's what we did. We took 25 whole cloves and you can buy those at any store, half a cup of brown sugar, two cinnamon sticks, two star anises, which are one of my favorite spices because they're so pretty. You need one bottle of red wine. I recommend a dry red wine rather than a sweet one and a bottle of ruby port. So any sort of young port, you don't need to do really expensive wine or really expensive port for this. Mm -hmm. You got to think this was literally made in the Victorian era. And this was something that all the people who worked uh, were kind of, you know, worked for a living. Um, This is what they had at Christmas time. So it was not something that was super Mm -hmm. extravagant or expensive because they couldn't afford it. So don't worry about having a, a, a really nice red wine or a beautiful kind of tawny port. Just a new port is fine. A young port's fine. And a bottle of, you know, $10 Cabernet will get you there. No problem. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, this is pretty simple to make. So you're going to take the uh, oranges and you're going to take those cloves, those 25 whole cloves, and you're going to, you know, stick about five cloves per uh, orange and then slice those oranges in half, slice your grapefruit, uh, lemon or etrog um, in half and put that into the oven. You're going to roast it for uh, about 40, 45 minutes, somewhere in that range. At, uh, I think it was the oven was set to 400. Is that right? 350. 350. Okay. Yeah. So you just, you just kind of roast that off. Um, the fruit kind of starts to split and then you take that fruit and you put it in a bowl or a pitcher with the red wine, the two cinnamon sticks, the two star anises and the half cup of brown sugar. And you just let that steep overnight for about 24 hours. Yep. 
it is, it looks kind of weird. It smells really nice, but it looks kind of weird. You want it in a non-reactive container. And what that means is anything that's not metal. So you can use a plastic bowl, you can use glass, but something that's not metal because you don't want the acid from the wine and the citrus to eat away at the metal, I guess. Um, yeah, that's right. That's kind of important. Uh, we didn't, because, we didn't because, experiment and see what would happen if we did. So yeah, don't do that because that's how batteries work. So don't do that. Yeah. So non-reactive vessel, uh, put that in, uh, let it sit overnight. Um, so this actually is really good if you're doing a party, uh, which is where we kind of had ours. Cause you can do this the day before, um, you just let that steep. And then the next day, that's when you get down to actually finishing this thing off. So, uh, it's pretty simple. You just, you know, kind of strain out and like mash up the fruit you want to get the bits out. Uh, Michaela did hers with like a with like a uh, like a citrus like press rinder kind of thing. Yeah, I used an old fashioned juicer, but uh, you don't have to do that. Uh, yeah, um, if I was if I was going to do it, I would probably just throw it into um, like some sort of like colander or sieve, and then just mash it up with like a mashed potato masher or like a wooden spoon or something like that to, uh, to mash it up and get all that juice out of there. Um, so you basically strain all that stuff off and you put it on the stove. Uh, you bring it up to smoking. So just, you know, kind of below a simmer there. And when it gets there, that's when you're going to add your ports. So you add in the whole bottle of ports um, and you let that kind of come back up to temperature to smoking again. So it's nice and warm and delicious on a cold winter day. Ladle that up into some uh, teacups and you are good to go. You are good to go. And I have to say, this was a huge hit at the party. This is a great, yeah. uh, first of all, it makes a lot. It makes basically two bottles of wine mm -hmm. worth yeah. of liquid, which is great if you're having a party of around 10, 10 people, um, mm -hmm. depends on how much they drink, but this is something you could totally do in batches if you wanted to and mm -hmm. be able to have a big vat of it. Um, it was recommended that we use something like a, a crock pot, uh, to mm -hmm. be able to keep, mm -hmm. to keep it in and keep it warm. We did because we didn't have very much of it. So we, you know, well, we had only two bottles. So it fit easily on the stove and we would just ladle it out from there. Um, but it was a huge hit. It's not too sweet. It's not too spicy. It's mm -hmm. nice and warm. You definitely want it on a cold night. It's amazing. And it's very boozy, uh, which is weird. I expect, I did not expect to feel it after a couple of these, but I totally mm -hmm. did because the port yep. is quite fortified, right? So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is a little boozy, but it has a perfect kind of uh, sweetness level, some good spice from that stuff. Um, like Michaela had mentioned, sometimes if you get like the, like the mauled like spices that you do, where you just add that to the wine, sometimes that's overly spicy or overly sweet. Um, but yeah, this one was kind of a, a perfect balance of that. And it was super simple to make, um, once we got past the fact that we weren't going to be able to find an, an etrog. So, um, if you've ever had an etrog out there, let us know what it tastes like, how it compares to a grapefruit, just so we could know for our for our own, you know, sort of peace of mind uh, to see how close that was. Uh, but yeah, this was extra delicious. So definitely make this up if you're having a get together or you're seeing the family for uh, the holidays this year, or, you know, just any time winter cold night, uh, you know, get some of this going and it'll warm you right up and it will chase the humbugs out of your heart. So Michaela, we better whip up another crock of this because we're going to need it to go back and uh, talk to some ghosts of Christmas uh, you know, and get this thing straightened out. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely need a, a hot cup of punch of, a uh, of smoking Bishop in order to deal with these spirits. So 
That's right. Absolutely. So why don't we take a quick break? We will ladle up a, another glass and we'll be right back to talk about this week's film, which is A Christmas Carol. Spoiler warning for A Christmas Carol. If you've not yet seen the 1951 version of A Christmas Carol starring Alastair Sim as Ebenezer Scrooge, you've probably seen some version of A Christmas Carol. And they were not the right version because this is the version you should see. Unless, of course, you want to see the modern day telling, which is Scrooge, which we cover a couple of episodes ago on Drink the Movies, or the absolute best version, which is The Muppets Christmas Carol starring Michael mm-hmm. Caine. Yeah, true. But if yeah. you've not yet seen any of those, you have no idea what we're talking about, you should probably press pause, go in, spend a day making up some of this beautiful smoking bishop, have a cup of it while you're watching, and then come back and we can talk about it. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, yeah, you probably are definitely familiar with the story um, because it's been told uh, hundreds of times, you know, based on that Charles Dickens book from the uh, late 1800s. So that's uh, that's pretty good. This one came out in 1951. It was directed by Brian Desmond Hurst. And yeah, this one stars Alistair Sim as our uh, main character there as Ebenezer Scrooge. Um, and yeah, this is probably my favorite of the versions of it, uh, save Muppet Christmas Carol. Um, and the Muppet Christmas Carol is heavily influenced by this one. So, uh, if you watch this, you're like, oh man, this is exactly where they're, you know, pulling a lot of that stuff and the way that the characters look and sound, um, and things like that. So, uh, pretty cool there. Um, and this gets started up like a lot of movies from the fifties. Uh, it's going to be like a book opens up and that's where you get like your credits and it's going to come in with a narration. And we see Ebenezer Scrooge coming out of the bank, doing some banking. And that's where we get our first bah humbug. Uh, Alistair Sim says it the best. Uh, it's what you think of when you think of bah humbug and it's pretty great. It is pretty great. You know, um, I don't know what else Alistair Sim has actually been in, but he, he is the best Ebenezer Scrooge because he's so, um, he's very tall, I feel. So in all of these shots, they're kind of these grand shots of him going down like the stairs at the bank. There's this shot of him going through these kind of dark hallway uh alleyways in London. And mm-hmm. I feel like he's very tall, but he's very like imposing and he's but he's soft-spoken so he's not like he's an understated scrooge where he's just grumpy and just oh why are you asking me to give any money to the poor i don't understand why all those people don't just die and he says it just like that (laughs) he's not you know overly animated about it um, which Mm -hmm. makes him that much more believable right yeah yeah he's definitely definitely believable as this uh, crotchety old you know business mogul uh, you know, banker guy uh, kind of thing. And yeah, Alistair Sim is amazing in this. So yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's basically just going to tell the story. So so we meet him, uh, we see Tiny Tim. Uh, I'm just going to bring this up because Tiny Tim's like looking at these toys in this toy shop. Um, there's like these dolls in the window. Uh, it's scary. Uh, basically, A Christmas Carol is a uh, it is a haunted tale. Uh, this is a very yes. spooky ghost story. Um, and those things gave me nightmares. Um, I'm less scared <laughs> of the of the ghost of Christmas future that's going to show me, you know, how and when I'm going to die. But I'm very scared of the dolls that Tiny Tim was uh, infatuated with here. Yeah, it does. It does make you wonder, like, what the toys were like back in those days, right? Because you see a lot of like puppetry and like there's there's this one that seriously looks like it was the inspiration for Annabelle it like moves back and forth and it like has these crazy eyes and there is a shot where the 
the the actor who's playing Tiny Tim is looking at these things and you're not quite sure at first if he's going to like scream or like cry out in laughter because mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just so weird. But I guess that that was the thing back in the day. I mean, you do see like one toy boat in the very, very back of this kind of display <laughs> that immediately yep. gets picked up because no one wants to buy any of these creepy dolls. And he's sat, kind of sad. Tiny Tim is kind of looking longingly at it. And then his mom shows up to walk him down the street, because if you don't know, Tiny Tim is very tiny and he's got kind of a, um, a hurt leg. You don't really know what the deal is with him, but you know, he's in kind of failing health and his, well, his health is very precarious. So sometimes mm-hmm. he has problems. They ask him if he's very tired or if he can breathe okay. And he's kind of limping on this crutch. That's kind of a makeshift crutch because of course the Cratchit family and Tiny Tim is the youngest of the Cratchit family. Uh, the Cratchit family doesn't make any money. That's Bob right, Cratchit yeah, they- works for Ebenezer Scrooge and he gets like no money. He has the same clothes. When we go, when the Christmas passed, ghost comes and we meet Bob Cratchit like 20 years before he's wearing the same clothes. <laughs> like he has no money. We cannot stress this enough how little they have, but they're very sweet. And I love, I love that scene with his mom. Yeah, that yeah, that is really it is a nice scene, I guess. Uh, save the creepy dolls, but yeah, it's nice. He get he gets a little bit of the limelight there, Tiny Tim, um, you know, as uh, as the character in this tale. But basically, uh, as as you know, uh, Ebenezer Scrooge is going to be visited by four ghosts, and the first ghost is Jacob Marley, who is his old business partner. Um, this is amazing. Um, the 1951 film, like uh, he's in his, it's like a sitting room kind of a thing. Um, and you see Jacob Marley come in, he's like dragging the the chains, all that stuff. Like the, like the clocks and all these bells are like going nuts. Uh, but what is super cool is that Jacob Marley is a ghost and you see him kind of walking through this, through the scene. And you're like, Oh, that looks pretty cool. You know, where they're having to like layer these different, you know, uh, you know, film reels over one another to, to make him look like a ghost. But then he comes in and like sits down and you realize that they had to have shot the scene like twice, like identically with the exact same positioning. So they could layer it over each other um, because yeah, he's like walking through furniture um, sitting on the, the chair that's sitting there. It looks super awesome. It does look super awesome. And this is probably my favorite rendition of Jacob Marley because he does look really creepy. And when he shakes his chains and screams, he has this high pitched Mm -hmm. wail and it really is off-putting. You're like, what is going on? And so poor, well, I don't know if it's poor. Um, Grumpy (laughs) Ebenezer Scrooge is at first like, you're not real. You're just a piece of cheese that I, that was moldy that I ate. Like I'm having a hallucination. But then by the end of this, after the wailing and the shrieking and the banging of chains and the, he's like, okay, okay, okay. (laughs) I get it. You're real. I understand. Will you just please stop and tell me why you're here? You know, Um, it's so (laughs) great. Marley. And he's got these dead eyes because he won't look at, he won't look at, Ebenezer he kind of looks through him and Mm -hmm. I don't know if I've seen that before in any of the other versions but I really like that effect because you really it really shows how lost Jacob Marley's ghost is right his soul is being tormented um, now because he should have paid more attention to mankind and been more giving and more gracious Mm -hmm. and so it really shocks Ebenezer to be like oh so that that's what awa- that's what awaits me, huh? Okay, I guess I I I guess I need to do something about it, maybe. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He tells him, you know, you're going to be going to be visited by some ghosts. It's not too late for you. 
you know, don't make the same mistakes as I do. You don't have to carry these chains. Uh, he goes over to the window and you see like all of these other like lost spirits like dancing around like outside, uh, which is also very spooky. But yeah, I love the the Jacob Marley uh, stuff there. It looks really great. So we're going to go and we're going to meet our first ghost. It is the ghost of Christmas past. Um, as the ghost of Christmas past is coming into the bedroom, there's like this uh, uh, version of like Silent Night. It's like this choral version. It's very like ethereal sounding, uh, heavenly. Uh, and, you know, he takes Ebenezer Scrooge. They uh, fly out of there and they go to the past. So they're like at a school. Uh, it's like super cool. It's like this weird like like backdrop, like painting, but they're like actual real people riding horses through it. Uh, it looks uh, pretty crazy. Uh, it's kind of trippy almost looking, but it's uh, pretty cool. Um, and then we get into the past of Ebenezer Scrooge. How did Ebenezer Scrooge end up like he did? Yeah, it's always good. Uh, and I think it's a good lesson, right? That people who are really uh, grumpy and upset and just mean to others, they usually weren't born that way. They were made. And so it shows mm -hmm. all these vignettes of scenes, right? So his father... Uh, really resented him because he his mother passed away when she gave birth to him and his father couldn't uh, ever really look at him and forgive him for that. And so this first scene is him at school with his beloved sister is there and she is telling him he gets to come home for Christmas and he doesn't have to come back to school if he doesn't want to. They're not going to make, I mean, he can go to school, but they're not going to send him away anymore. And mm -hmm. so you show that the only person in the world that he really cared about as a boy was his sister which is really yeah. sweet and beautiful yeah. yeah that's right yeah his uh his sister fan uh turns up there so we meet her there at school um and then uh you know you learn he, he's got a little bit of trouble there uh with the parents you know some family uh stuff going on and then we go to um the Fezziwig's party uh you know which everyone remembers from muppet christmas carol because uh you know it's uh fonzie bear but uh here it is actually uh Fezziwig's, and everyone's dancing having fun um but, you know, uh, Ebenezer Scrooge, he's over kind of on the side with his love, Alice, and they're talking about their future together, how, you know, he gets her a ring uh, and kind of like a, a pseudo proposal. And he says, this isn't a very nice ring. I'll get you a nice one one day. You know, I promise uh, everything's going to going to work out. But, you know, Alice just loves him. She doesn't care about the ring. She doesn't care about his money uh, or, you know, money that he wants to make. So we get to meet Alice, his love. And then we go from Fezziwig's party. Uh, which is really fun. Uh, there's a lot of dancing there. It's very well. Uh, it, it looks like a like a good time, like a good party oh, yeah. going on. And and Ebenezer Screws marvels. He's like, oh, this this only cost Fezziwig probably a you know a couple of pounds, but look at how happy it makes all of his people. And he kind of realizes the air in mm -hmm. his ways. Yeah, American global companies. It's Christmas time. Take note of this moment. It doesn't cost a fortune to make your people feel right and pe people feel good in the holiday season. I'm just saying. Anyway, um, yeah, so it's a really wonderful scene. There's like dancing and of course there's there's punch, lots of punch drinking and, mm -hmm. you know, but we go directly from this really beautiful happy time to poor Fanny on her deathbed. And, mm -hmm. you, you know, Ebenezer is there. He's, I guess, the one of the last people to see her before she dies. And what he can't handle it. Well, I don't know if that's the right term. He gets very overcome with emotion and he leaves before he hears her final wish and her final wish, which the older Ebenezer now hears was that she takes care that Ebenezer takes care of her son that she just gave birth to. And mm -hmm. so it was actually pretty common for women to die during childbirth. 
which is terrifying as a woman, but that apparently was like pretty normal. Uh, so she ended up, something happened and she died shortly after giving birth to her son, but Ebenezer did not do that, right? He ended up resenting his uh, her son, just as he was resented by his own father. And you mm-hmm. see an opening in the opening scenes where you learn about how Ebenezer Scrooge is such a humbug. He is, he married against Ebenezer's wishes. He married a penniless girl, but he's in love and he doesn't care. And he's not mad about, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that Ebenezer doesn't like it. He's like, I'm just came to wish you Merry Christmas. I love you. You're welcome to have Christmas dinner tomorrow with us. You know, hey. and he's like, no way I'm not going there. Blah, 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 blah. So, uh- that's right. Yeah. So, so uh, he's lost fan and, and realized, you know, the error of his ways there with his, uh, with his nephew, uh, Fred, I believe is his name. Uh, and then we're going to go, we go through um, it's, it's the end of, you know, the love affair with Alice. Uh, it's, you know, they, he comes in, he's talking about all of the, the money that he's making and you see that they're kind of growing apart. Ebenezer is more interested in uh, making his fortune than, uh, you know, maintaining his uh, life with Alice there, uh, which is, which is very sad. And then we go to, uh, you know, to see Jacob Marley because Jacob Marley is on his deathbed and Ebenezer Scrooge can basically, you know, not even be bothered with this news. He's like, what? I'll go at the end of the day. I'm still at work. <laughs> Uh, don't, don't worry about it. He'll be, he'll be fine or he'll not, but you know, we're working until seven. So. Yeah. And Marley even tries then at the very end on his deathbed to tell him there's still time. I was wrong. We were wrong. Ebenezer doesn't get it. He doesn't understand what he's trying to say. And moreover, he doesn't seem to really care. So he's dead. And immediately he just kind of takes over his house, takes over the rest of the business And so, but he won't like change the sign. So the sign on the outside of his business says Marley and Scrooge, you know, still, Mm -hmm. even though at this point he's been dead seven years. And so he kind of comes back to his room Uh, at the end of every kind of visit from a ghost, uh, at least the first couple, he comes back to his room and he's like, oh, I, I, I don't know if I can, he's still kind of hesitant to say that he's going to become a changed man. He's, you know, got plans, I think for Fred, uh, to mend that relationship uh, with Fanny. But other than that, he's like, I don't know if I can change. I'm too old. You know, just leave me alone. Mm-hmm. I just can't do it. And then we meet the second ghost. That's right. Yeah, he uh, he wakes up in his bed because there's some uh, co- commotion going on out in the uh, out in the next room, I guess. So he goes out there. And we see the ghost of Christmas present. Uh, he has long flowing locks. He's like sitting up on like this throne looking chair kind of thing. He's got like a big feast around him. Uh, know me better, man, uh, is what his uh, catchphrase is going to be as they uh, go through uh, go through the Christmas present. Uh, and first stop is going to the Cratchits. Uh, it's pretty cool. Like uh, Ebenezer and the Christmas present, they're walking through the street, um, you know, uh, Tiny Tim and Bob Cratchit are walking through the street. It's all like snowy. Uh, it's really pretty here on this. I don't know if it was on a set or if they were doing it uh, somewhere where it actually was snowy, but it looked very lovely. Um, and they go and he's peeking into the window and yeah, he gets, he gets caught up on uh, Tiny Tim, you know, which we all already learned about a little bit at the, at the shop window, but sees that the Cratchits, uh, just a happy family. Um, and, you know, maybe he should uh, take a little bit better care of uh, his employee, Bob, Bob Cratchit. Right. There. Yeah, at dinner, they're all, you know, they have their smoky bishop punch and they all have enough for two cups. That's what they have. And so they're with their first cup, they're going to toast 
uh, to Christmas. And then Bob Cratchit decides to toast to Ebenezer Scrooge. Of course, no one else wants to. They're like, he's super mean. He doesn't treat you right. And he says, well, he is the reason we have everything that we have right now. So let's just be grateful for it. And of course, Mm -hmm. Tiny Tim says, God bless us, everyone. It's a very key point. And but you do see, I mean, Tiny Tim's not doing super well. He's uh, he's sitting kind of by, the, he was sitting by the fire. He's got a place for his crutch. So this is a, has been an ongoing thing. You know, Ebenezer looks to the ghost of Christmas present and he's kind of worried about him. And, but you, you get the sense that he's probably not going to be around next Christmas because he's not doing super well. And, you know, you feel kind of sad, but we immediately go from there to Fred's house because Fred is having uh, his own Christmas uh, Eve kind of dinner. Yeah, that's right. He's having a party, um, which he'd invited Ebenezer to earlier in the in this story. And Ebenezer, you know, told him uh, no, thank you, because uh, Christmas is a humbug. Uh, but yeah, Fred's party looks awesome. They're having like like fancy looking drinks, and they're sitting around. They're all like decked out in their Christmas best. Uh, it looks like a pretty nice party, and you know it. It's another case. Same with same with Bob. Like even even though Ebenezer has been terrible, um, you know, when given the opportunity to you know uh, speak ill of Ebenezer, Fred's like, no, you you know, you just don't understand him. He's he's good guy. Uh, you just you know you don't understand. He's he's you know defending him uh, for no real reason, really, because Ebenezer is a jerk. But you know, Fred, nice guy, uh, gonna gonna look after his uncle, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely feeling that familial bond, I think. And perhaps channeling some of Fanny's love for him because even when uh, at the end, Fanny still had faith that he would do the right thing by Fred, right? So that's right. And if he is, if he's going to do the right thing, he still needs to be paid a visit by one other specter. And that is the ghost of Christmas yet to come. Which is kind of terrifying. Um, I know we've talked about a lot of different versions of the Ghosts of Christmas Future. This one is just like a black cloak. You don't even see a person. It's like a shape, shadow mm-hmm. thing that follows him around or walks with him. It's real creepy. I think I'd almost like to see like a skeleton <laughs> or something. It's just real dark. And, you know, so Ebenezer now is like, well, I, I can probably change some things. Uh you know, if I, if I change now, can I change the future? Like, are these things that are definitely going to (laughs) happen? Like, or are these things that are, that are, could happen if I don't change my ways? Like what, Mm -hmm. how bad is it really, is it dire here? Like (laughs) he's still trying to like bargain with the ghost, which is pretty funny. Um, and, uh, once again, that ethereal silent night is starts Mm -hmm. to play and go and, um, see the Cratchits. And it's, it's either next Christmas or the Christmas thereafter. We're not really sure, but uh, Tiny Tim isn't there and Bob Cratchit comes in without him and they sit by the fire. And it, I, I always cry during this scene because he tells such a beautiful story of where they've, they found a plot for Tiny Tim to be laid and mm-hmm. he's overcome with grief, but he's still trying to find the silver lining in his really dark, sad like, you know, life, right? He's the, mm-hmm. you know, one of his children has passed away. He's just completely, you know, distraught, but he's still trying to find hope uh, for his kids and for his wife. And it's just, oh, it's a really tough scene, but it's very beautifully done. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of my favorite parts about this version of uh, Christmas Carol is Alistair Sim does a really good job of just letting um, like this fear and depression kind of just wash over him as we uh, go through. Um, like in a lot of tales, like it doesn't really like whoever's portraying Ebenezer Scrooge, it doesn't really seem like they actually like change that much. Um, you know, it's just kind of a dialogue thing, but here in like his expressions, the way he's uh, holding himself, the way he's talking, the tone of his voice, um, all that stuff, like I said, it's just kind of like watching over him, uh, which I think is uh, fantastic. Um, and then it goes from the Cratchit's house uh, to it's like the it's like the undertaker, I guess, uh, kind of thing. They're there and they're basically like going through all of Ebenezer's belongings. Like, you know, he, was, he, <laughs> he went in, he was like buried with like a watch and some, uh, you know, coins in his pocket and stuff. And they're like divvying that stuff up and like uh, deciding who's going to take his suit and stuff like like it's a. Uh, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's a really interesting scene. I really like it. Um, I think because it's, it's really painting the picture that all Ebenezer's worth on in the world was uh, his belongings and, and what he had. And that's kind of what people are fighting over at the end. It's not about him at all. No, no, not, not at all. And even at the bank there, the two gentlemen that he's kind of quarreling with at the beginning of the film, they're there talking about a funeral and how there's, you know, going to be some sort of ceremony, a memorial service and they're like well i'm going but only if there's lunch because i need to be fed yeah, that's right i'll, I'll only go how, if there's food uh, how awful is that right at the end of one's life where people are literally picking over your body there's i mean the woman even said she's like well i took the sheet off his body but he wasn't cold anymore so i don't think there's any sick in it like they're, they're trying yeah. to like how gross is that people are literally like picking the the all, all of the it you know, materialistic things that he has, because that is all he is worth to them. And that's Mm -hmm. all he's given to the world. Really awful. Exactly. Yeah. So, so yeah, they go through his belongings. He found out that there's going to be a funeral. um, And he quickly learns that that is his funeral because they go to the cemetery. The cemetery is very, very creepy. It came like straight off of like a, like a hammer horror film set. I think they just walked over and used it to to film the scene. It is way creepy. Um, He sees the headstone, you know, with his, with his name on it there. Um, and obviously no one's there to, you know, remember, uh, his life at all. Um, very sad. And, uh, you know, he's in full blown mental break. Now he is ready to change. He's ready to embrace Christmas. He is ready to not be a jerk. Um, luckily for him, he's going to get that chance because he wakes up in bed Christmas day. Yeah. Christmas morning clutching like the end of his, one of his four posters, Right. Mm -hmm. Because he has this beautiful like Victorian four poster bed with curtains and stuff. And uh, and he's like, oh, my gosh, the curtains are still here. (laughs) That girl didn't take them and sell them to the undertaker. What is going on? And (laughs) this is my favorite scene um, because he literally can't control himself. And for a person who's super reserved and kind of this tall, kind of lanky kind of person, he, he like dances a jig kind of in the middle of, of the, of the floor. He goes out mm-hmm. and looks at the window. He's like, I didn't miss it. I can, I can still, I can still make, and you know, I can still make amends. It's Christmas morning. His housekeeper comes in and she is way freaked out because he's oh, yeah. acting like a, like, like, like he's had some sort of psychotic break and so she's shrieking and he's giggling and he's like tries to stand on his head at one point and he's a normal person so normal people don't do that after the age of like eight um so he like falls to the ground and she's shrieking she runs down the stairs he like grabs her and then she shrieks some more because she thinks he's completely gonna like maybe assault her i don't know um it's really hilarious but also you you gotta feel for her because 
we know that he's fine, but she probably thinks he has <laughs> lost his mind. Yeah, she thinks she thinks he lost his mind. It's actually funny. They're going down the stairs and he asks her, you know, how much she pays her. And it's like, I don't know, like two shillings a week or something like that. Um, and he says, well, now it's 10 shillings a week. And so she freaks out again more. And then she's like, I'm going to leave before he stops freaking out and <laughs> realizes what he just did. So uh, that's that's pretty funny. And of course, you know, he yells down at the street at the little kid passing by, you know, to go buy the uh, prize turkey in the shop, uh, which is a plot hole because that store will be closed because it's Christmas Day. Uh, that's OK. Um, so they get the turkey and they and they go and, you know, he goes over to Fred's, uh, has the party there and then ultimately uh, gets uh, gets over to the Cratchits. Uh, it, it's probably the funniest thing, I think. I don't know. It struck me as really funny. Uh, like the oldest, like Cratchit boy, like the son, is holding the turkey like a baby. And yeah. it's just, it's hilarious. I was like, what is he doing? That's, That's Salmonella waiting Salmonella. to happen. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're watching that. And I, I, it's, I think it's a goose, actually. Um, but I asked my husband, who used to cook goose a lot on mm-hmm. Christmas, because that's kind of a traditional thing. And I, I said, how long is it going to take for them to cook that bird? Because, you know, in ovens now, it's like, I don't know, an hour per pound or some craziness, right? And he yeah. says, oh, no, it should take a couple of hours. And I was like, well, they need to dip it in some sort of bleach because they're literally <laughs> cradling it as if it's a newborn child. They think their yeah. hands are all over it. Um, in COVID times, that just made me freak out just a little bit uh, yeah. watching it. Yeah. But, uh, but there's no note saying who it's from. It's just saying Merry Christmas. And of course, Tiny Tim chirps up and says, oh, I know who brought this. This was definitely Ebenezer Scrooge. And they're like, uh, kid, <laughs> we know, look, you're, you're, you're sick, but maybe you're not, maybe you're also, you know, not all there and you're having delusions of grandeur. There's no way that it was Mr. Scrooge. And he says, oh no, I bet it was. I bet it was. And then Mr. Scrooge goes to Fred's party And Mm -hmm. that is also amazing because Fred, you know, we don't know how badly Scrooge treated him growing up. We, we only know that he never gave him any money. Mm -hmm. And uh, so Fred is not rich the way Mr. Scrooge is, uh, but also he did not want Fred to get married to somebody who was also penniless. And so he's been really not nice to his wife and they're really super gracious because he comes in and he says, you know, I know we're in the middle of dinner, but is it too late for me to accept the invitation? And they say, of course not. There's plenty of room. And then he goes to uh, Fred's wife and he says, I'm so sorry. And she immediately forgives him. She doesn't do what I would be inclined to do, which is like, well, you know, you were a real jerk and here's all the ways in which you were a real jerk over the last couple of years, but I forgive you. She skips all of that. And just that's right. She has it. She has, has a bigger some, Christmas heart than, than most. Yeah, I guess. than me, for sure. And um, and then they they do a jig. They dance like a polka or something. And yeah. uh, Ebenezer Scrooge remembers how to polka, which is also a miracle. And uh, it's a great time. It's it fabulous. Is a, it is a great time. Yeah. And then the next day, uh, they're back at work. Uh, Bob Cratchit, he's just a couple minutes late. Um, and you know, he tra- he's says, you know, we had a, had a really big day yesterday because of the, you know, that big, uh, goose, uh, there that they got and things, you know, it's not going to happen again. And, um, you know, and, uh, Ebenezer, you know, he, pl- he, he plays it pretty cool, right? He still tries to act like a, the mean old, uh, curmudgeon, you know, just to, uh, you know, get one over on Bob, but, you know, ends up giving Bob a raise, tells him, you know, to go get all new coal for the, for the thing. And then, you know, they're going to celebrate over a hot bowl of punch, which is how you should always celebrate uh, everything uh, when it comes to Christmas time and the holidays. I say that is the best way to do it. I agree wholeheartedly. 
And Scrooge became the best. He was better than his word, it says, right? Which is exactly Mm -hmm. how it says it in the book. He became a wonderful friend and he was like a second father to Tiny Tim. Tiny Tim uh, finally got some medical care. Medical care is really important. Uh, We should all be paying uh, for that. We should all all be giving to those who don't have uh, good health so that everybody can have Mm -hmm. quality of life. Um, Anyway. But he does that. And miraculously, Tiny Tim starts uh, with medicine from doctors. He starts to get better and his leg ends up being just fine. And he ends up living a very beautiful and wonderful life, all thanks to the change of heart and three very spooky ghosts and one really, really spooky window. Spooky toys, <laughs> spooky, <laughs> spooky ghosts, and one very creepy window. And yeah, that's uh, that's Christmas Carol. Um, like we said, you probably were very familiar with that, but if you've never watched this 1951 version of it, uh, definitely check it out because it is awesome. So, Michaela, uh, how did you stumble upon this version? Because there's been, I don't know, roughly like a hundred versions of this, you know, uh, between uh, animated ones and uh, actual movie ones and musical versions and uh, all sorts of things. So the 1951 one, how did, how did that come to be for you? So this is my dad's favorite Christmas movie and daddy, if you're listening, this episode's for you. Um, my dad and I always watched this uh, at either mm-hmm. on Christmas Eve or uh, right after opening presents on Christmas morning. Um, and I think we still do it. We're not, uh, we're not going to be together this Christmas, but I believe it's still something that, that is going to happen. So we'll be doing it together in spirit. Um, my dad really liked this version for the same reason that I do, uh, that, you know, the Christmas morning scene, I think is probably one of my dad's favorites. So every time Mm -hmm. I watch it, I always think of him as well. And, uh, but I watch it every year. I, I have been really hesitant to watch a lot of the other ones simply because I don't think that they're going to do as well of a job. I've seen a Mm -hmm. few. Um, I know there've been a couple uh, that have had some big stars attached to them. Uh, But really I just haven't found one that hits me uh, in the heartstrings uh, as well as this one. So um, I've Mm -hmm. been watching this probably every Christmas since I was like eight or nine. Yeah. Yeah. I've been watching this one for a long, uh, long time too. And this is my preferred version of the Christmas Carol. Um, I do love the Muppet Christmas Carol, which is my wife's favorite uh, Christmas movie. So we watch that one about every year, but I'll watch this one every couple of years. And yeah, this is my favorite version of it. Uh, One of the things that I really like about this one is as he's going through with the ghosts, they really kind of take some time um, and they don't like beat you over the head with, you know, they use, he was super sad and then he was super mean. And then, you know, <laughs> everything was super terrible. Um, you know, it's, it's just kind of like more of like, like little things that, you know, set him on this, uh, kind of journey to becoming, uh, Ebenezer Scrooge. So you get a more fleshed out kind of character arc for him than you do. in most, like I said, it's, it's usually, you know, just, oh, this is sad and terrible. You know, it's just beating you over the head, but this is a little bit more so. And Alistair Sim is, is so amazing at selling this. It's kind of, you know, bordering between, you know, <laughs> having a mental break and uh, sadness and uh, disbelief and all that stuff. Um, I put in the notes and I saw you were highlighting it as I wrote Gene Wilder in here. Um, this reminds me a lot of Gene Wilder's performance in, uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory as Willy Wonka, where he's kind of like bordering on like this, this insanity, um, but still kind of grounded. And that's, I don't know if he took some notes from the way Alistair Sim acted um, in this or another stuff, but that's kind of what it reminded me of uh, watching it just in his performance there. Absolutely. No, you're spot on there. Um, This kind of manic, childlike, 
I don't know, the, the acting out on it is just amazing. And the way in which like even the scene where he goes and tells the little boy to go get the Christmas goose and mm-hmm. like he, he just can't stop himself. He's like, oh, what a, what a smart boy. What a remarkable child. Like he just all of a sudden he just loves everything and he can't stop his mouth or his actions from loving everything. Which <laughs> he's doing it and, and shouting it. Yeah. And and he's like <laughs> laughing in between his lines of dialogue. It's it's amazing. He's having. Yeah. He's like uh, like completely lost it. And uh, yeah, for sure. If I was Mrs. Dober, I would be freaking out, too, because he's <laughs> he's just uh, <laughs> just going crazy. But yeah, he's he's exceptional in it. And like I said, this is my favorite version of the story by far. Um, now, when this originally came out, it was called Scrooge. Um, and then uh, they changed it later to just be a Christmas Carol. I don't know uh, why the the name change really took place, but uh, that happened. Um, there also you can find I think colorized versions of this, but I don't know why you would ever want to do that. Um, but if you want to to check it out, I guess I guess you can do that. But yeah, at least if you're at least watch it because it's definitely worth worth your time watching if you like the story uh, Christmas Carol at all. Absolutely, and. Right now it is on AMC. You can get a week, a free week subscription to the AMC channel mm-hmm. and you can watch it for free. And if you want, you can continue to uh, use AMC after that. But uh, that's where you can find it for free during this holiday season. Or you can do yep. what I did, which was buy it as soon as I was able to get uh, Amazon Prime on a device which was, I don't know, 10 years ago. I don't know when it was. But I, so I've, I have, I have the vision, the, black and white version because that's the only version worth getting and um i watch it every year so you can do that that's probably the better way to do it uh just buy it and if you've not seen it please go watch it if there's another version out there that you like even better we'd love to hear it we won't believe you but we love to hear it (laughs) that's 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 right we definitely want to hear what version is uh is your favorite out there and we definitely want to know if you make a smoking bishop to have you know either to watch this or um at your holiday gathering or if you just want to just have some for yourself you could definitely do that too so send us pictures let us know uh what you think and you can do that on our social media it's at Drink the Movies on Instagram and Twitter and w and Facebook.com slash Drink the Movies. And you can find pictures of our smoking bishops and uh, the recipe, you know, uh, all that kind of stuff on our website, which is www.drinkthemovies.com. And after you've been visited by your spirits and you want to check out the podcast episodes twice a week, where can you do that, Michaela? You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere where Anchor Podcasts are distributed. We do do we do drops uh, of episodes twice a week, so uh, you should come check it out and subscribe. And if you really like what you're hearing, which we hope you do, you can leave us a five star review because it really helps us build out the Drink the Movies community and get more Drink the Movies stuff out there. That's right. And Michaela, Christmas is upon us. We have covered four more uh, Christmas films. And we've had some smoking bishops, but I think we better make up, mix up one more batch of this to get us through. We have presents to open, uh, gifts to exchange, uh, Mary to make, and yeah, it's, it's just going to be great. So everyone listening out there, have a happy and safe holiday, uh, however you celebrate. And thank you for joining us. And we will talk to everyone next time on Drink, Drink the Movies. The Movies. Bah humbug. God bless us everyone.